0: Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to my Star Wars The Clone Wars retrospective series. I have been reviewing every episode of The Clone Wars television series. You can listen to the previous two episodes ...of those in the archives, this is the third episode, and in this episode I am reviewing the 2008 theatrically released film, Star Wars The Clone Wars. It's not as complex as the other Star Wars films, and honestly the reason for that is, this film is actually compiled of four individual episodes that were originally going to be released with the first season. George Lucas watched them... He said, hey, let's put this out in theaters. Honestly, it seems like a cash grab to me. It seems like just George Lucas probably wanting to make more money. His reasoning is is that this film was distributed theatrically in 2008 to hype audiences to get the word out that he was adapting the three-year time period in between episode two and three into an animated television series. This movie was supposed to be the forerunner. It was supposed to be the kickoff for that, to get people excited, to get uh, everyone of all ages, all Star Wars fans, tuning in to Cartoon Network to watch his show that would eventually run for 121 episodes, five seasons on air, with a sixth season being released exclusively to Netflix. Like I said, I will be reviewing every single one. But in this review, I am reviewing specifically this theatrical film, which I did actually see in theaters in 2008. I went with my family. We sat down. I was very excited for this. In my previous podcast, I've stated that I did see the 2003 animated five-minute episode Uh, cartoon series of the clone wars i absolutely loved it it was a perfect bridge between episode two and episode three and honestly i thought we were just going to get a cgi retelling of that show i didn't know what else to expect from that i i just was expecting what we what i'd already been given and much to my shock that is not what we get with this in the theater i sat down the Curtains rose, the screen came on, and then the curtains closed. Everything shut down. It's a really funny story. I was really disappointed. The theater was experiencing technical difficulties, so we had to go to another theater which didn't have another showtime for quite a while. So we had to wait roughly, probably, an hour till the next showtime. We get comfortable in our seats. I'm ready to see a Star Wars film. On the big screen, theatrically, I thought my last Star Wars viewing was going, was, uh, I believe, in 2006 with Revenge of the Sith. I thought that was the last time I was going to see a Star Wars film in theaters, but no, only two years after that, I'm shocked to know I'm getting another Clone Wars, I'm getting a Clone Wars film in theaters. That was great, I thought that was going to be my last theatrical experience, and I'm going to say it right off the bat. Overall, and in hindsight especially, I was disappointed with this film. Why? Well, because it's not a film. Honestly, it's not really a movie. It may work better, yeah, probably would work better as a made-for-TV movie instead of a theatrically released film. Because what this tells feels very... The beginning and the end, it feels like you are just plopped right into this story. It doesn't feel like a complete story like you would see with a regular Star Wars theatrical film. So, to say the least, I was disappointed that this was going to be my last theatrical Star Wars viewing. Now, thankfully, last year, 2015, we all got to see The Force Awakens in theaters just blown away by that experience completely overshadows the last theatrical Star Wars experience I had with this film. So thankfully, I can say that was not my last theatrical experience of a Star Wars film. And if you've listened to the previous two episodes, and you should clearly know for the whole reason I'm doing this retrospective, I absolutely love the Clone Wars television series. But this movie is kind of a weird anomaly. Essentially what they did is they took these four episodes and... That is how I'm going to talk about this review. I feel that's the easiest way to talk about it, is I'll discuss... They're really segmented, and you can really tell that. And they actually have names. Most people probably don't know that. These episodes actually have names. Uh, The first part of the series is called The New Padawan. Uh, The second is Castle of Deception, when they go to the uh, castle on Teth. And the third installment is Castle of Doom, and the capstone to the film is Castle of Salvation. Not very clever titling, honestly, but you could clearly tell those three castles are filming a castle arc. We get that with the Malevolent trilogy that we'll get eventually, and we get a few of those throughout there that kind of use similar titling. But just to give you a few stats on this film, right off bat... This film is 98 minutes long, which is roughly an hour and 40 minutes, but takeouts about, I don't know, probably 10 minutes of credits. It comes in about an hour and a half. It makes sense. You get four 30-minute episodes. That adds up about right. This film had a budget of about $8.5 which I guess is decent for that time. We're going to talk about some of the animation... A little later in this review my thoughts on that uh, it grossed over 35 million here in the u.s which considering the budget it did very well worldwide it grossed over 68 million so this film was a box office success you could say uh, with the critics it was not a success with the fans i don't think it was either i feel like a lot of people felt slighted with this film this film did not This Star Wars film did not open at number one, and it actually didn't even open at number two. This film opened at number three in the box office with an opening weekend of $14 Now, that is unheard of for a Star Wars film to open number three at the box office. And I believe that is a lot of people weren't drawn in. It's a CGI cartoon. Uh, Adults are used to... uh, Star Wars live action film so I can see why that didn't draw as many people in and of course this demographic is not really towards I would say the people that saw the original films in theaters by this time they are probably too old it is their children who was pointed at the demographic I'm not saying this can't be for adults but more so it is for uh back in 2008 I was a bit younger i was around 13 years old now i'm 21 still love the series but as a film I, i have to judge this as a movie because that's the way george lucas felt like he needed to present this to me so that's what i'm doing i'm basing it off of a movie that's how i'm judging it so i i would like to go through this series i would like to go through each beginning with each episode um The first part is titled The New Padawan. This is the end to the Christophsis Trilogy. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and watch episode 1 and episode 2 of The Retrospective. You'll see what I'm talking about with the Christophsus Trilogy. This ends the Christophsis Trilogy, and honestly, it is underwhelming, I guess you could say. It's fine overall. It's, it's mediocre into it. It's very quickly wrapped up what we saw. I would say it's not that exciting, although it opens with an exciting battle, which is a very good battle, a very nice battle to watch. It's an exciting battle. Although I would say the episode before this, The Hidden Enemy, the middle of the Christos trilogy, is far better. I, I honestly believe that's probably what they should have put into this film. Instead of this, they should have reworked some things. But the title is The New Padawan. That's the main focus. The Krasovtus Trilogy is playing second fiddle to the new Padawan. And this is when we are introduced for the very first time to Ahsoka Tano, a brand new character to the series, to the Star Wars universe. And I have to say, I love Ahsoka. She is awesome. She has an incredible story arc, incredible character development across the 121 episodes of the entire series. It's amazing to watch her grow and mature in her character, in her voice, in her appearances, actually, which is amazing. And I will say I will hopefully do a Star Wars Rebels retrospective series someday, probably when that ends. I'm just enjoying it right now, not doing a whole lot with it, just really enjoying the incredible Star Wars Rebels series, which is the successor to the Clone Wars series, except Rebels, takes place before Episode Four, in between Episode Three and Four. And spoiler alert: Ahsoka is in Rebels as a fully matured adult woman. Uh, just incredible! It really, it really does pay off to see her so young in this and older. I believe I, I don't believe I'm mistaken, but no, I no, I think we saw Captain Rex in the episode before. Either way, um, theatrically, audiences saw Captain Rex for the first time in this film. Otherwise, if you're going in chronological order like I am, I believe you would have seen Captain Rex in the previous episode, The Hidden Enemy. But we're introduced to Captain Rex, who will also be a staple to this series. And also, spoiler alert. Captain Rex is in Rebels as an old man with a beard. He was one of the clones that escaped Order 66, did not partake in that, escaped him and, uh, I believe, two other clones. There may have been a few more, but at least were given two. He. Uh, it's really nice to know that Captain Rex did not follow through with Order 66. I really think that would have soured us a lot, and I believe that's one of the reasons we also see Commander Cody in this episode, well I, I should say in this movie where we see him in this, for those who paid close attention in episode 3 and who were familiar with episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, you would have seen uh, Commander Cody with Obi-Wan Kenobi um, a number of times in that and you would have saw him fulfill Order 66 trying to assassinate Obi-Wan Kenobi, killing the Jedi, killing the innocents. And we do get him in this, and I am thankful that they don't really uh, focus on Commander Cody too much because we know he will be a traitor later on, not of his own free will, but he will be a traitor. And I really feel like if the audience got too close to him, then that would uh, just kind of dampen the experience of the Clone Wars film. So it was a smart move for them to create this new character of uh, Captain Rex, who just becomes a really great staple, an incredible clone. I I love this character. He is so awesome, Uh, such a great leader. Also, it's amazing how they're able to make this character grow on you. And just a side note, you will see Commander Cody pop up a couple times as much, a couple times throughout the series, but not as much as Captain Rex. So this new episode is mainly focusing on the dynamics between Anakin coming to terms with having a Padawan. Uh, they believed it was going to be Obi-Wan's Padawan. He would take on two Padawans, essentially, except Anakin really isn't a Padawan anymore. He's more so a Jedi Knight. But she's been assigned to Anakin, and we see the beginning of their relationship. It's a little rocky. It's played very well. Uh, you you instantly feel the chemistry between the two, which I do give kudos to the voice acting in this as I do throughout the whole series, uh, the voice actor for Ahsoka Tano, she really just fits. Very wonderful. That's uh, played by Ashley Eckstein, I believe, is how you pronounce her name, Eckstein, Ashley Eckstein. Uh, she's just really great. Really works for the character immediately. You you just, uh, Ashley Eckstein's voice is synonymous with Ahsoka. It just works so well. Also props to Matt Lanter, who plays Anakin Skywalker. He is the definitive Anakin in my mind. Uh, James Arnold Taylor plays Obi-Wan Kenobi, the definitive Obi-Wan Kenobi. Their voices aren't exactly the same as their film, live-action film counterparts, but they're similar, yet they're unique. And I really appreciate the uniqueness they bring with their voices, and it really just cements their own representation and i i honestly prefer it i prefer it more uh d bradley baker i have to definitely give him props props he plays every single clone in this series now it makes sense because they're all twins they're clones but he does a really great job of changing his inflection to give them uniqueness he is the voice of captain rex and commander cody uh, we also get Tom Kane as Yoda. Uh, Frank Oz does not reprise his role for this film. That's okay. Tom Kane does a marvelous uh, impression of Yoda. It really doesn't seem any different. Uh, Nika Fuderman plays a sauce of interest, who we will talk about soon. We do get Chancellor Palpatine slash Darth Sidious in this film also. Uh, it is not the original actor. Ian Abercrombie does the voice And it's amazingly similar if it it's right in. Also, for just this film, it was really nice that audiences could come back to the theater and hear Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu. I was really glad about that. I was so sad when I was back in 2006 when I saw Mace Windu die. That was pretty sad. It's really nice to have his voice back in here. Same with Christopher Lee who reprises his role as Count Dooku, who was also assassinated in episode three. We get those two guys back. That's a lot of fun. That's great. That really also helped brings the audience back in. It should be noted that we will not get Samuel L. Jackson or Christopher Lee back in the series later on. And we also get Anthony Daniels as C-3PO. So it was really nice to uh, have... Familiar faces, I guess I should say familiar voices, since they are animated back to the show. Now, speaking of animation, I just really noticed this right off the bat, that this animation honestly is subpar. I say this because there is almost a lifelessness behind these characters. I touched on the animation in previous episodes, but this animation, honestly... I feel Toy Story is better than this animation. This animation is very rigid. The eyes and the lips are terribly done. The lips and the voice, it just doesn't match up. And the eyes, it doesn't feel very lifelike. Uh, This animation is different than the normal Pixar animation most people would be used to. But it really just... On a technical level, it's very poor. Honestly, it doesn't work. Now, I'm not saying that the animation is uh, like you can't watch it. No, it's it's definitely watchable. But if you compare it with what they're able to do later on in the series, it really advances. Advances later in the television series. This was starting right off the bat in 2008. Not overly impressive. It's still great to look at. There's still a lot of really fun, well-done sequences. It is an animated film. You have to cut it some slack, especially back in 2008 with a budget over a little a little over $8 million. So I, I don't know if they could have done better or not. I'm not going to slam them too much for it, but I'm just going to say this is some of the poorest animation you will see in the series. Now, that the Christoph's arc wraps up pretty fast that's really like I said not the main focus I'm going to move on to the next plot of the film which is called Castle of Deception and this is when you find out the true plot of the film which honestly is quite disappointing it's even back then when they were I was the demographic that they were really hitting this home towards back then, and I was—I thought it was not a smart move on their part. The whole point of this show, of of this movie, is—I keep calling it a show. Well, that's because it feels like one. The whole point of this is—it's very segmented. That's what I'm trying to get across with this whole review. It is not a self-contained film it is a segment of the 121 episode series they literally yanked it out popped it in theaters and it's definitely you could tell this is a segment but this is a very weak plot clearly directed towards children it is just so low compared to the other elevated plots of the clone wars The plot is getting Jabba the Hutt's son has been kidnapped by Asajj Ventress, who is Dooku's apprentice, you could say. Uh, If you watch the 2003 animated series, uh, she's called a disciple. Can't really call her an apprentice. Darth Sidious wouldn't allow that. But she has kidnapped the Hutt, so Dooku can persuade Jabba to align with the separatists and they can control his outer rim trade routes, I guess. It's just a really weak plot, honestly. Uh capping the Job of the Hutt's son as a little baby who Ahsoka names Stinky, and it's essentially the Jedi have to rescue the Hutlet, return it to Job of the Hut, and save the day. I, I'm just it, I mean you should be able to discern that for yourself right now, that this is not that compelling of a plot, especially for a Star Wars film. I was shocked when I was watching this. A lot of it was very, you know, mediocre, honestly, to me. But this episode is Castle of Deception. They're they're moving to a different world. They're on Teth now. They uh, I'm going to give props to this segment. Uh, they're doing a vertical battle, which really has never been seen before uh the director Dave Filoni talked a lot about how he was really uh, wanting to do something that would set this film apart from the other films the other films have iconic uh fights whether it be with the Death Star or the beginning of episode three with the battle above Coruscant there's always some kind of battle that sets that particular episode apart from the others This one had a really, it's a really well done vertical battle where the clones are scaling the side of a mountain wall to get to the Teth Monastery at the top. It's well done. It's fun. Uh, One thing I am going to bash on throughout this is the score. Uh, Throughout the battles, I would say, the uh, Clone Wars theme of the opening sequence is just brilliant. I absolutely love it. It's iconic to me now. But there's this weird kind of like, rock and roll vibe with these battles that are really poorly done there is a special feature on the disc i highly recommend checking out about the score and uh the guy had the composer had really unique ideas with the score and i'm not saying it's all bad uh there are some very well done parts of this score for this film but i can clearly tell they're trying to make this more so for the cartoon network audience for the young kids it's not. It doesn't work for me. I I found it to be terrible. The actually the score is kind of like funky rock and roll. It's really not working for me. But Castle of Deception is probably one of the strongest points of the film, especially when uh, we get the fight between Anakin. When the fighting breaks out, that's when it is. Otherwise, it's somewhat slow. Uh, we have the clones engaging the droids, which is awesome. We get an aerial battle with Obi-Wan and the droids in the sky. We get Anakin and Ahsoka fighting Ventress, which is awesome. And they're fighting other things. They're riding on, like, dragonfly creatures. That's awesome. That is awesome action. That's what we came for. I will say I was really surprised that Ventress continues on into this series. And I'll tell you why. I'm really glad they did keep her on for this series because she's a great addition to this. It causes great conflict. She's a great great developed lead character. Very unique. In the 2003 animated series, Anakin kills her in almost, you could say, a rage. He strikes her down in a rage in a somewhat similar setting, kind of like a little ruined castle setting. So I assume that's what we're going to see. Thinking about that in retrospect doesn't make any sense at all because this is clearly aimed towards a younger audience and just the tone of the film already in general that they've set up plus the whole plot of getting Stinky the Hutlet back to his dad. it wouldn't it, That would totally throw the tone of the movie off for Anakin to essentially murder Ventress like that. I was disappointed. I didn't get that. I was shocked. I was completely confused when I was in the theater. I was like, that's when I knew this had nothing to do with the 2003 animated series. They are completely different continuities. I do recommend checking out the 2003 series, though. But just know, the continuities are completely separate. So, after Castle of Deception, we get to Castle of Doom. Oh, well, before that, uh, there's actually a really amazing sequence in Castle of Deception where uh, there's a, a Rancor. We actually get to see a Rancor. The only time we've ever seen a Rancor was in Episode 6. Well, we get this Rancor that looks more like a odd cross between Gamera and something you would eventually see in Pacific Rim, but it's very cool. Uh, They drop into a Rancor pit. There's this awesome fight between Anakin and Asaj. Ahsoka accidentally lets out this gigantic Rancor. The two actually fight on top of the Rancor while Ahsoka fights off droids. I was really bummed to see that was cut from the film. And they said they just cut it out to just speed up the film. I think that's a mistake. This film needs as much action as it can get. It needs as much awesome sequence as I can get. It was a mistake, honestly, to cut that out. That would have been that would have just added to the movie, made it more awesome. Possibly, would have enhanced the experience in my eyes. Uh, there's a few other deleted scenes I just didn't understand why they cut out. They could have left them in. Uh, Castle of Doom. I believe this is when. Um, th- it's not really clearly defined what Castle of Doom and Castle of. Salvation is, I, I believe this is probably when we get to, uh, we when we're actually introduced to Padme. I was very surprised to see Padme in this film. She plays an interesting role, of course, trying to help out her husband, Anakin. She is on Coruscant. We do get to see Coruscant back and forth. That's nice. Also, to see how they recreated the uh, Senate building, the Chancellor's room in Coruscant. She goes to uh, Zero the Hut. This is when we are actually introduced for the first time. There, uh, Jabba has relatives, and we will see later on he has many relatives, a part of his Hut clan. We we'll get Zero the Hut, who I was shocked to find out is a. I almost want to say a transvestite in a way. It didn't really sit right with me. It still doesn't sit right with me now. Why they chose to do that? I think I did some research and I found out that huts are asexual, meaning they can change their sex and reproduce of themselves. Zero the hut is asexual. So, but she... Sounds like a woman, dresses like a female, I should say a female, but Padme refers to her as Jabba's uncle. I don't know why they introduced the concept of, uh, I don't know how to put it, being a transvestite into a seemingly children's film, a children's animated cartoon series. It really felt like they were just stepping out of line by doing that and stepping over their bounds. I, I, I think it would just confuse kids more so than anything. At 13, I was still confused why this female acting looking hut, sounding hut, was considered a he and addressed as a he. I just don't see the point of that. That seems, I don't know, maybe they're trying to make a political statement. If they are, uh, nobody's going to know because their demographic is young teenagers to young children, so I didn't get that. Uh, I will say the Padme sequence is kind of fun. With her running around Zero's place, it gives a weird side to Coruscant that we really haven't seen, aside from the beginning of Episode 2, but it takes it a step farther, and I really like seeing Padme in action, considering the only time we ever saw that was in Episode 2, when she was flying around the geonosis arena fighting off the geonosians and uh, the droids and everything so it's nice that she gets something to do we will get more of her later throughout the series i i do enjoy her i don't enjoy zero the hut i think uh, zero the hut's a terrible character that should have been altered so as not to be as it is as we're presented padme does have a fun sequence though And we finally get back to Tatooine, Anakin's home world, where him and Ahsoka traverse in some really beautiful shots. I will say that although the animation is subpar, there are some really beautiful looking uh, sceneries, some beautiful looking backgrounds in this film. And we especially get that on Tatooine. And this is where some really good action is also introduced. When Duku and Anakin fight, that is a really awesome lightsaber battle. Uh, that's aside from Obi Wan and Asajj's lightsaber battle. Anakin and Asajj have a lightsaber battle also. Not the not the best, I'd say. That's probably third. Obi Wan is second. Duku versus Anakin's probably the first best. It's really great. And then Ahsoka has to square off against three of Duku's guards. Which is also nicely done. And it also provides some suspense because you think that Dooku kills uh Jabba's son, but he doesn't. He fakes him out. That's really that's really cool. And we, we are back in Jabba's Palace, and there's some really nice suspense done in Jabba's Palace, also. You think they're gonna die, but they don't. They return the sun. That's Castle of Salvation. They are therefore saved. Uh, They're spared, they've saved uh, Stinky the Hut. they've saved themselves from the wrath of Jabba because Dooku lied to Jabba saying he's going to kill Stinky. And it's really weird because, well, Obi-Wan meets him on Tatooine, I believe, and maybe Yoda, and they all kind of stand there in a row, and then we get the classic um, circular closing of the film with the iconic with the signature music and the credits and everything it's a little odd but that's the film in a nutshell i was shocked in 2008 revisiting as an adult i wasn't any more impressed with this this is actually some of the weakest stuff i'm gonna maybe even say the weakest part of the entire series uh very disappointed That this was released theatrically. We will get to some episode arcs later on. Particularly concerning, spoiler alert, Darth Maul. That probably really should have been put out theatrically instead of this. Uh, Darth Maul would have been a much, much bigger draw for audiences than Stinky the Hut. Darth Maul was the best part of episode one. We audiences didn't get to see enough of him. And I'm thankful they're making amends by incorporating him into a significant part of the Clone Wars. And now he is actually in Star Wars Rebels, which is huge. I was so thrilled to see Darth Darth Maul return in Star Wars Rebels and that he's still playing a part. Uh, He just really had an unresolved scene. That's what should have been released theatrically. Not Stinky the Hutt in this weird 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 movie that being said I do think this is something if you're a Star Wars fan you should own I own it in my blu-ray collection uh I I will rarely watch this film I have seen it a number of times now but it is a part of the entire series if you want the complete Clone Wars experience then I say you have to have this a part of your collection although it is kind of a necessary chore to get through the entire experience to see the entire thing something that I I am glad they make up for it make up for the lack of storytelling and whatnot what have you with this movie is the bonus features on the blu-ray are Really great. Um, I would definitely recommend checking out all of the bonus features on the Blu-ray disc because they are beneficial for the rest of the series. They set you up for a lot of stuff for the rest of the series. Like I mentioned, there are some really great deleted scenes that people really missed out on in the theater. There's some really in-depth uh, short documentaries that I, I really enjoyed uh, watching Uh, It's kind of cool. There's actually a hologram, remember the card, flip card game, that right now is pointless, honestly, to play. But back then when it came out, if you uh, won each round, you would get to see sneak peeks of certain episodes in Season 1. There's just a lot of really great features for this blu-ray disc that i highly recommend checking out plus there's also a i i watched parts of it i wasn't going to watch this film twice for this review but there are there's a video uh commentary that kind of pops up during the film that uh is dave filoni the writer the producer and possibly the editor they provide some really nice insight into the film So if anything, I would suggest actually watching the film with that video commentary, because it may be a little more pleasing of an experience to get more of an in-depth look of the film, whereas the film is more so just shallow. This provides more of their look into it, and kind of the TLC, they provided it. So, and you know, I do applaud Dave Filoni and the team for putting this together. Ultimately, they are under the instruction of George Lucas, so I would hold him more so responsible and he is the one that wanted this film released theatrically it was originally going to be in the first season broken up into episodes and if that was the case then I wouldn't be judging these as harshly but this is a theatrical film so I have to judge it as such and hold George Lucas accountable for that but I I definitely recommend checking out those features overall this film is disappointing I would say. It's not worthy to be called a Star Wars film. It's a part of the TV series. Uh, it should be viewed as such. Uh, if it worked, if it was a TV film, I would have probably accepted it a little more, wouldn't have judged it as harshly. Uh, that being said, like I've said, it is. I would say it's required watching, it's required viewing. You can still have fun. There's something for everyone in here. There is some really fun, great action sequences, so I appreciate they at least put that in. But otherwise, I have to give this film... Hmm. I'm giving it two clone trooper helmets out of five. It gets a low rating from me because they're really not that compelling of episodes. In hindsight, I can say that. At the time, even at the time, I really wasn't overly impressed, but we will get episodes later on that are just phenomenal. So as of now, it gets two out of five. I do still recommend this. It's just a weaker recommend, yet I still believe you should watch it. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode three of The Retrospective. I will be back. With episode 4, continuing the series. Look look forward to that episode. I'm looking forward to discussing this and continue viewing this now that I have the film out of the way. Honestly, I'm sorry this is late in coming. I was a little hesitant for this podcast. I knew I would have to discuss an hour and a half film that I'm not particularly fond of, and I did go through all of the bonus features, every single bonus feature on the disc, just to have the complete experience So I could really truly fully talk about the film and everything about it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please join me for the next one and continue on this retrospective series with me. I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Until next time.